All right, recording in progress, it says. Hello out there to the world. It's uh, good to see you, aloha. You guys are in on a special treat for me today. I don't know if it's a special treat for y'all, but I get my uh, my best friend. I get my buddy, my homeboy from high school. And and the craziest thing is we haven't talked in forever. So y'all are getting to see the uh, live reunion. <laughs> right? You look good, buddy. Thanks, man. You too. This is Steve Sosaby. He is, uh, I'll let him talk about what he did, but he's, uh, he's a high performance individual who's been at the top of his market from grown from the nighttime stock guy all the way to the very top. And I'll let him tell the whole story. And uh, before we get going, I'll introduce myself. My name is Alex Alexander. I'm the CIO of Integrity Portfolio Management. We handle $1.5 million worth of land assets here on Hawaii Island. And we don't sell a kit or a course or anything like that. I make these videos for free. We sell land, but we give away knowledge for free because I think there's a lot of people out there who don't have to be broke and uh, they just don't know how to stop being broke. I don't want you to be one of those people. So we make these videos for free. And today I got my boy, Steve Sosaby on the other side. Steve, we're gonna talk, let's talk about, well, first of all, tell folks what you're doing now. Tell them who you are and what you're up to these days. Well, uh, like you said, my name is Steve uh, Sosby. I'm actually uh, running a tractor supply in uh, Amarillo, Texas. And uh, yeah, super high volume store. And uh, it's a fun experience. I've been doing that for the last six years and uh, I'm having a great time doing it, but um, it's basically performing at a high level. And that's kind of what the plan is and uh, working your way up and being able to uh, perform. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Very good. Tell us about Hastings. Most people have probably never even heard of this store, and it's it's gone now, right? It is. It is. Uh, I think they uh, somebody uh, brought a small tidbit back in uh, I think Topeka, Kansas. But yeah, it's a. Uh, it was a company that uh, was founded uh, probably fifty years ago, and uh, I started in uh, nineteen ninety four, which uh, back right out of high school. Um, yeah, and uh, started with them and like you said, started as an overnight stalker and kind of worked my way up to a uh, member, you know, interim management positions, uh, moved around a little bit with the company and became an assistant manager, a store manager for a couple of stores. And uh, yeah, and then uh, moved into the district manager role for 10 years and uh, finished my career there with, uh, well, for as long as the company was there for uh, another six years as the director of uh real estate and store planning. So basically growing and uh, remodeling and consolidating and having fun trying to help the business grow when uh, in a struggling economy. So now but, you were you were doing what entrepreneurs do inside of a company. Absolutely. Um, you know, the digital age uh, was one of those areas that uh, has basically hit a lot of uh, media hard, you know, with the we'll blockbuster. Talk about what Hastings was. We didn't talk about that. Yeah, Hastings was a books music. It was an entertainment store. Uh, they sold books, music, and videos, uh, video games, uh, coffee. Um, and with the digital age, uh, with the red boxes and blockbusters and stuff uh, basically coming in, uh, Hastings had about 153 uh, locations um, in the United States, um, basically central, central U.S. to uh, into the Pacific Northwest. 
Um, a lot of smaller markets, rural communities, um, a lot of places that didn't have the ability to go see a bunch of stuff. So it was a great place at that time to go watch a movie and hang out with the family and go read a book. You know, you would have the mom and dad kind of split to go one direction and the kids would go the other direction in the store. And it was, uh, it was entertainment at its finest. So now you guys were selling not only books, but actually an entertainment experience inside the store. Absolutely. I mean, that was the whole point behind it. Um, basically uh, something for the whole family. And uh, whether it be a video game for the kids or even some of the parents <laughs> um, as well. But, um, you know, with movies um, and then we uh, even had a coffee shop in there, which was it was called the Hardback Cafe. And um, mom and dad could come in and have a mocha and read a book, you know, sitting at the couch and the kids could go and look at the toys and all the fun stuff and pick out a couple of video games and stuff to take home with them for the evening. So now as you're describing it folks who are not familiar with it probably have no idea how large these stores were. And I'm remembering how big, when I would come visit you, they were immense. What was the square footage on one of these stores? Yeah. The smallest store uh, we had uh, was probably about 9,000 square feet, but most of the stores in average were about 32,000 um, to upwards of 45,000 square foot stores. Um, I mean, they were, they were super entertainment stores. So they, they had a little bit of everything and, um, yeah, if, if you wanted entertainment, Hastings had it for sure. Wow. Now this is how it kind of gets into what, what I've been talking about on my show, as far as, you know, commercial real estate and that kind of thing. Now you got to be, you were the buyer. We talk about, you know, as entrepreneurs trying to tie up a piece of land and, and lease it out to somebody or find a long-term tenant, find an anchor tenant. You were the mm -hmm. buyer for an anchor tenant of 40,000 square feet. Can you talk about that being the buyer who's going out and talking to uh, realtors and people who are renting this land out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we had build a suits where we would go and build from the ground up and uh, we didn't technically own anything. Everything was, you know, a lease aspect. And, but yeah, when you're going out uh, working with a broker or uh, just the landlord in itself and talking about taking up so much square footage and, uh, the aspect of, you know, what's going to work for you and that uh, uh, cost per square foot and versus what they need to pay off their, their dollars as well. So, um, and that's, that's that little game you had to play. And sometimes the performer would work for the store, say this store is going to make this amount of money. We can afford to be in this site. And there was areas we couldn't afford to be in. And sometimes it was working a deal with the tenant saying, Hey, if we meet this dollar amount, then we will pay you more after so many amounts of years. And um, sometimes you got to negotiate and work with that. And sometimes as a landlord, you got to take that chance um, to hopefully fill that spot as well as you got to remember how much traffic we were drawing into those centers. Um, and if we were the main center there, I mean, we were drawing in a lot of, a lot of people to us. So um, it was attractive to be next to a Hastings, you know, because you knew you were going to get that extra traffic, whether you were a smaller little Caesars, you know, taking up 5,000 square foot of that big shopping center. Um, it was nice for them to be able to divvy those out versus having a big box come in and take so much space. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was fun to play the game. Um, it was a little uh, difficult when uh, the backside of it, because you've also, we had to work with landlords when it came to downsizing. Um, because there was a time as the digital age came in um, and everybody was not so many people were renting anymore. Um, how do I take up that 20,000 square foot rental department that I had, make it a 5,000 square foot rental department 
And did I put something else in it, which became collectibles and comics and T-shirts and toys and graphic novels and things like that that were still um, interesting, um, but I still made the money on the cost per square foot. Uh, but maybe I didn't need a 40,000 square foot store. I needed a 20,000 square foot store. And how do I help him find a tenant, a tenant that I would like to help draw traffic into me as well? So it was, it became a, a good little uh, process. Uh, and I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that aspect of it. Now us on the other side, being the, you know, we're renting out space. We're, our, our game, everybody who's probably, most of the folks that I deal with are, we're trying to secure a piece of land, whether we buy it or whatever we do to own that piece of land and then rent it out to like a big customer like you guys. So what did you see in the like shopping centers and the people you were working with? What were the attractive ones? What were the ones that said, that's the folks I want to work with. That's the center we want to be in. Um, you know, and it really depended on the market, you know, figuring out the demographics. Um, and I mean, that's what was appeasing to us. Um, do you have, um, we had a huge bookstore. So was the market educated in that aspect? Um, same way with like buying land in Hawaii. I mean, that aspect of people wanting a piece of the island, you know, I mean, that's a huge aspect. Somebody, hey, you know what? And we can make it affordable to you to get here. Um, that's also huge. So working with them saying, hey, you know what? We're going to bring you into this, you know, commercial real estate or into this one uh, location. And we're going to give you a discount to get you in here. Um, but say you grow like we think you're going to grow. Um, how, do, how do we basically um, not really take advantage of that, but how does it become a win for both of us? And after you've been in the, the maybe in the lease space for five years, let's come back and look at it and see where you're at um, and potentially where there could be a, an increase. Um, and if they're going to do as well as they think they're going to do in those locations, um, then it's usually a, a given to basically make that contract deal. Um, to where they're basically going to go, hey, you know what? And I'm going to step out on limb and say, I'll go five years at this rate, but let's look at it at five years. And if I'm at this dollar amount where I'm looking to be, then let's do an increase. And I mean, it's a win-win. So just trying to make it attractive. Um, you didn't really want to move into somewhere that um, I'm not going to say a low-end shopping center, but you know, sometimes you have those. And how do you make that center better, you know, more attractive to people? Sometimes it's just a paint job and cleaning it up, but what tenants do you have? Um, if you have tenants that aren't really bringing people in, um, that's not a good idea. I mean, how many, not gonna just knock on nail salons, but how many nail salons can you have in a shopping center that would attract people? Now they're gonna have their everyday customers, but you want something that's gonna bring something in all the time, um, weekly, monthly, um, something that's basically gonna be traffic to the center because once they're in the center, you got them, you know? And then it's just, how are you gonna be able to bring them in to help you out? So. Yeah, with a big center like that, they just park one time. Right. Absolutely. They park and shop. Yep. Yeah. So you just got to. Um, so it seems like I've been I've been paying a, a big attention to retail centers around here and just how the shops are grouped together and 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 um, how a center uh, you can have like an upscale center and you put in you put in like a lower end product in that center, like a lower end uh, store. And it brings down everything really quickly. Like you can notice it. It, it just be even the traffic in like the cars in the yep. parking lot. All of a sudden the quality goes down dramatically from even just one store. Absolutely. And you're looking for uh, diversity. I mean, diversification of a center is huge. Um, 
I mean, maybe you do have a, a wing stop or, you know, one of those areas to where that's going to bring some people in weekly. Maybe you have another diner, but you don't want it to be the same. So it's going to be something a little different. Um, so looking for that diversity, bringing in tenants that aren't all the same. Um, I mean, we did great next to Best Buy's, which was kind of funny. You know, our old president used to say, you know, we uh, um, they sell the uh, razors and we sell the blades. So, I mean, <laughs> that's it's right. That's that you you win you know from being next to some of those people that have either the same customer but don't sell exactly the same materials um so i mean they just kind of like that it just depends on really the market and um can you bring something that's new and exciting that's different to your to that center um versus what somewhere else is in the city um or something that's doing really great and you've got somebody that wants to open another center you know or something 15 miles away um that might be a second location um, that you know they're doing well so uh, definitely that's very important with that diversity making sure that you don't have the same, uh, same shops in the same center is huge. Yeah. I remember you told me one time, I may be giving away a little bit of the secret sauce, but you said you would look in between Walmarts and Walgreens, right? Was it something yep. like that? Well, yeah. And, uh, what you're looking for is traffic count and, uh, you want to see where people are traveling to. Um, the worst thing you could do is be on the outskirts of a Walmart because they're not coming to you. Um, they're going to stop at Walmart before they get to you because um, they got to go to Walmart anyways, but you want to give them a convenience aspect um, of being there. And that's where digital age really hurt convenience um, when it came to the entertainment market, because convenience of pushing a button on your remote control versus driving in and having that shopping experience um, it really took it away from people. You know, Hey kids, I want this new video game, dad click. There you go. Um, versus having to go and shop around, which, I mean, I still miss the aspect of it. Uh, books, people talk about, you know, having a book in their hand and opening up. I know you were on one of your uh, blogs earlier, you were talking about that, um, your podcast. So, you know, you like books and you're, you know, um, there's something about that old book in your hand, you know, and reading it and flipping the pages and, um, you know, you don't, it's not the same coming off of a uh, you know, basically a, a digital, you know, reading it in your hand. It's so there's, there's something that's missed there um, in that aspect. And I think that our customers out there really valued uh, Hastings for that. Um, and they definitely missed that aspect of it too. So um, yeah. What do you see happening in retail now that it's gotten, you know, it got super convenient. We can do it in our house. Then we had pandemic and then we were forced to do it in our house and it got real convenient, real easy. Everybody got used to it. But now everybody's sick of being in their house and they want to go out. But all the shops are, I'm, I'm saying all the shops, a lot of shops are closed because you went to your house and you bought it from home. So they couldn't afford to stay open. But it seems like people want to go out still. What are, what are people going to go out and buy and go out and do? Are you seeing anything? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think they've definitely changed their, uh, their shopping trends because um, it's, you know, the convenience aspect of it. Like I was talking about, even with the digital age and how the entertainment business had switched um, to that. I think that's in everything. Um, it's more convenient to order online at Walmart and sit in your car and have somebody bring it out to you. Um, but I still think um, brick and mortar is what you'd like to call them. I think that brick and mortar aspect is still there. It's still alive and well. Um, we're a great example of it, a tractor supply. Uh, we're a publicly traded company, so I can't give it in details and stuff, but it's the customer is still out there and the customer still wants to come inside and they're still going to shop. Um, they love the aspect of perusing through the items. Um, but I think the big box, you know, growth, um, I think is hurt from that. Um, just for the simple fact that they 
had to have that traffic coming in. Um, and without that, um, they're struggling. And they, they were already struggling before. And I think the pandemic kind of put the nail in the coffin aspect of it. But I think the ones that suffered the most are the mom and pops out there that, um, you know, they couldn't afford to have uh, their employees there. They couldn't afford um, the food costs. And then we had food cost problems because they couldn't produce um, enough you know, where they were overproducing, you know, our farmers out there. So, uh, but then nobody was buying in the restaurants because they didn't have it needed for our customers. So they didn't have customers. So, I mean, there's, um, I think it'll grow back. Um, I think there's definitely a growth there. And uh, like you said, I think uh, we're resilient in that aspect um, to where we want to get out. We're not homebodies. We're not basically made that way. Um, we want to get out and uh, be a I'm around other people. And that's one of my notes here, you know, that's kind of helped me with my success is just surround yourself with great people. And the only way to do that is to be out and about with great people and uh, to meet them and interact. And I think that's part of it too. Just conversations with my customers, um, getting out and having a conversation with them in a neighborly kind of aspect. Um, they've missed that. Um, some of them not so much uh, to where they have even got away from it. Cause there were some of us um, tractor supply, we were open, Throughout the whole pandemic, um, we didn't have any issues with any of that. Uh, we gained some business because people were like, uh, didn't understand what we carried in products. Um, so it became a win for us um, just from uh, pet food. Uh, people didn't know we carried pet food. We were a tractor store to them. Um, so there were lots of those calls. And then when uh, that product line was cut short, say in a Walmart or some of those other grocery stores, um, we became the go-to to get a lot of that stuff and uh, basically opened eyes to some of the, some of our newer customers now um, the shop us now that didn't know that we carried those items. So I think on the flip side, I think people are ready to get outdoors. Um, and I think that's going to help with the brick and mortar to where people are going to want to invest in that aspect because they know once we're open and we're ready to go, I think, uh, I think it'll be a good thing. Yeah. Now you have, how many employees do you have now? Uh, I've got about 20, 28 to 30 employees, you know, in the store. And so yeah. how many, what would you say is you're like, cause usually I haven't worked in a structure with a whole bunch of employees and stuff in a long yeah. time. You got, you know, you're, you're the store manager and then you've sure. probably got like a, like a top level that you mainly work with. And then they mainly work with the rest. I'm guessing. Right. Yeah. Um, tractor supplies are kind of in a smaller structure aspect. Um, I mean, most stores, I mean, are going to average eight to 12 employees. Um, that's including with the store management. It's store managers, some larger volume stores have two, uh, two assistants. Um, and then they've got a couple of management team underneath that. Um, yeah, and then the rest are team members. And when I tell you, tractor supply, um, it was tough. You know, uh, I was with uh, Hastings for 24 years and uh, basically started in 94 and it ended in 2016 when the last store closed. And uh, I was in a situation of what's next, you know, um, I'd always been successful in everything that I'd done in that aspect of moving up in the company. And now I'm basically going to be just a guy trying to go find a job. And um, you don't know me except for what's on my resume. And um, how do you have that uh, conversation, the confidence uh, to basically speak your mind, to be able to speak up and be confident in uh, what you've, you know, set forth. I mean, um, I always talk about a circle of influence and you can only control what you can control. And um, you can control a lot of things and you can control basically what job you want to work. I mean, if you want to be an entrepreneur and grow, you can do that as well. You can do anything you want to. And 
um, that was that was difficult. But uh, hey, or uh, track, Hastings had a lot of great values, and tractor supply basically um, was the same aspect. And I had a couple of buddies that had worked for tractor supply as district managers, and they said, "Hey." They've got great values, and that's the first thing that came out of their mouth. And um, that's great. That's something we're always looking for um, with a company, especially a large corporation with over two thousand stores. It's something that you're always looking at, and it's got that kind of mom and pop feel in a large um, large corporation. And they they treat their employees like I mean, they hung the moon. I mean, they are all about team uh, team and. Um, taking care of us so it's uh it's been a great experience um even though we've been having to go through uh, the rush of traffic in the uh pandemic aspect um it's been a win for the business but it's been very stressful for for team <laughs> yeah. yeah how do you think they keep those values because I've, I've been talking to a lot of businesses that they they kind of like um they outgrow their values like almost right away the, the founders cast a vision you know, yep. when we have like three or five or 10 people, you know, everybody's about the values and the company and the mission. And then it kind of goes, it, it blows up, but then the values kind of go out the window immediately. Have you seen anything like that? And, and how do you folks kind of keep your values strong? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. Um, I mean, there's a lot of times you'll see with companies, you'll see the mission statements on the wall or um, their values. And then you ask somebody about them. They're like, uh, I'm not really sure. Um, before Traction Supply does anything, when they send out any communication, um, it's attached to a value. And whether it be communication, integrity, ethics, um, basically the change, you know, change, basically embracing it, understanding it. Um, everything that they do, they talk about it. And I mean, this goes from back. It's funny. We uh, had our uh, leadership meeting in Nashville this year. Um, and we basically when we were there. They brought back a, a president or a CEO from basically 30 years ago. Um, and he was there and he spoke to us and the, I mean, it was crazy. Everything that he spoke was just like, if it was the CEO to, talking up there about the values and the things that, I mean, it was basically, they live it, breathe it. And it's not, not a joke. I mean, it's not one of those things that they do because they feel like they need to, it's just how we run the company and everything's based off of those values. And um, everybody buys into it. And that's, that's the best part about it. I joke about, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid sometimes, you know, um, but no, I mean, it's true. It's just part of who tractor supply is. And it's, yeah, it's, I, I got, uh, I landed on my feet and I've had buddies that, um, after Hastings, uh, bumped through a couple of jobs, you know, trying to find, you know, the right location for them and their family and, um, with work-life balance and where I am with uh, my family and, uh, kids and, um, this was the perfect experience. So God has basically put a blessing on me and where he, he put me. So, so it's worked out well. I bet you he blessed the, uh, the people that work with you too, by putting you there. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. You, um, you've always been, uh, you know, I've known you for a long time personally, we've been, you know, close friends. And um, so I know that you, you get in with the people and you get involved with them and know people. Can you talk a little bit about like your personality with how you deal with, because these are your, your employees, you know, you're in charge of them. They, you know, you need to get them to perform, but you have a, a sweet spirit and a niceness and, and talk about that, how you work through all that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think some of it just goes back to the golden rule aspect. I mean, treat people as they, they want to be treated. And um, in that aspect as a manager, you got to treat people as they need to be treated because um, everybody's different. And um the way you say something to one person, how you would say to someone else, um, 
is completely different. Sorry, I might have lost you there, but um, <laughs> I had a call. Um, but yeah, I mean, the way you treat people is just a little different. And um, always uh, open door policy. Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, laid back in how I do things. Um, I'm pretty relaxed. And uh, I always want to know a little background of them, um, whether it be students. Um, I've got, we've got a uh, college here, West Texas A&M, that's uh, right outside of town. And um, got a lot of college kids. So letting them understand that, hey, I appreciate you coming to track. What are your plans? What is your future? What is your growth potential? What do you want to do? And I think having those open-ended conversations with them, letting them know that they're just not an employee. Um, they're not um, just sheep that are basically being out there and told what to do. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's uh, one of those give and take. They're, I don't treat anybody that's, uh, you know, less than me. I'm not afraid to clean the restroom um, if the restroom needs to be cleaned. And I mean, it's, it's one of those things that's kind of a simple, you know, but it's not because it, it means a lot to them whenever you can step in and you take care of those things on your own. Um, they realize that I shouldn't be cleaning the restroom or having to clean the restroom, but in the same thought process, I'm not above it. And um, especially if it's taking care of my customers. And I think you uh, earn a lot of respect that way. I think uh, they listen to you. Um, I've kind of always been, I've known you for a long time, kind of one of those just kind of natural, I guess, have a way with words and how to talk to people and communicate. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, I've always had good teams around me, uh, people that have always been uh, willing to do what I ask them to do. And, uh, yeah, but I, I treat them as equals. I mean, I, they know that what position I'm in, but they've always looked at me as, uh, you know, they've always looked at me in that leadership role, but they realized that I would bend over backwards for them in a heartbeat if I needed to, so – yeah, for sure. I, I know that I can, I, I know that that has a lot of weight with the people because I've always felt it. Like, I, that's why I was saying you have a, a nice, a sweet kind of personality. And I've had to, I had that a part of my personality is like that, that I had to get rid of and kind of like ignore. And you seem to have been able to keep it and stay like, so I keep using the word sweet, but I, I mean it like it's a, it's pleasant. It's, it's calm and pleasant and it's just so enjoyable. And um, I was like, man, how are you going to be like that and be a manager and tell, no, you got to be here when you got to be here and you got to do what I say to do and, and all that kind of thing. And it's, it's, it sounds like you found a way to just make it work so nice. Yeah, I think uh, expectations. I mean, it's just like with kids or anybody. I mean, we have expectations that we expect um, in our daily lives and how we uh, – hold ourselves up to it. I know you talked about a little bit on your podcast of uh, reiteration and doing things over again. And um, that's how you are building that character. And they see that in you. And um, you can have the guy that says, you're going to do what I tell you to do because I'm the boss. Or you can say, hey, if you could go knock this out, I'd appreciate it. Um, versus saying, go do it because I told you to. Now, there's a fine line between that because me asking them to do it is me basically telling them to do it because I've asked them to get it knocked out. But um, I think you build that rapport with them to where I'm not going to have to yell at you to do it um, because there is that fine line to where if I have to ask you to do something over and over again, then I'll ask somebody else to do it. And there's been plenty of people that got promoted to customers um, that along the way that decided that they didn't need to do those things. And um, that's fine, but we've still got a business to run and it's all about taking care of the customers. And that's, uh, that's just a customer service industry. No matter what you are, um, you're taking care of the customers in real estate, you're selling to a customer. I mean, yeah. that's, 
what it is and whatever you can do to, hey, you know what, take care of that customer, guess what? They need some more property. They're going to talk to you about somebody else. Oh yeah, well, I know a guy, you know, and yeah. here come here. So yeah. How big, how big is the tractor supply company? Uh, we have over 2000 stores right now. Um, yeah, so we're, uh, we are growing um, and uh, they want to be around 2,700 locations. Um, and we're, uh, like I said, so um, 80 to 100 stores a year, I think is kind of what their growth path uh, idea is and where they want to be. And uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a good, good business to be in right now. Um, especially with the pandemic, people want to grow their own, you know, have their own chickens and grow their own uh, vegetables and, um kind of live the lifestyle out here as we like to call it and mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of nice they don't want to have to rely on the grocery store they don't want to have to rely on uh you know anything government or anything that way they want to be able to do that stuff on their own and we uh we try to help them and provide that for them so they don't have to so how yeah. large is what i mean is how large is one of the store how what's a store size what's the square footage on a store uh it's about 16 16 000 square feet so um, still still pretty big yeah it's 16 and then we've got a 16,000 square foot side yard so uh yeah and right now we're in a remodel um that we're doing in my store and it's uh basically adding a garden center and some other stuff so um, they're always developing um like i was talking about with values change um it's one of their values and uh it's basically embracing it you know um we listen to what the customers tell us we've always tried to um, such as with the Hastings, we couldn't do a lot of the things they were asking us to because we were brick and mortar. So coming to digital, we were trying to do that, but we just couldn't do that because that's what our business was. Um, but with tractor supply and the customers telling us they want to go to curbside and they won't pick up or they want online sales to where they can just swing by and pick it up. I mean, so there's, uh, we got a new CEO recently and, uh, he came from uh, Macy's and a few other places and his, um, I guess IT knowledge has been fantastic for tractor supply and moving them to the next level um, to basically take care of even more customers. So he's, he's been, his name's Hal Lott and he's done a fantastic job of growing the business. So that's great. Now you, as a store manager, you still deal with the real estate side as far as, you know, you still have to deal with the, the tent, the, the landlord. I don't actually have to deal with the landlord. That's all done from corporate office. So, um, yeah, I basically just uh, run the store. They try to do all that on the backside. I mean, if I'm dealing with him, it's because of there's opportunities or something that needs to be cleaned up the parking lot or, you know, where we have uh, curbs that are damaged and things like that. But yeah, um, yeah, no dealing with the landlord in this in this position. So that's kind of that's kind of nice in one aspect. So like I said, I've been checking out commercial real estate centers for a while and just like paying attention to the details of them. Can you talk about some of the details like broke curbs, uh, the yeah. landscaping? Talk about something as far as, because like I said, there's a real estate show, supposedly. <laughs> we'll see who's <laughs> watching. <laughs> now, so uh, we got, um, uh, so commercial real estate, a lot of that, I think it's kind of glossed over and not paid attention to the, the, the like curbs and the, and can you talk about some of those details that are important in commercial? Yeah, absolutely. Um I mean, you can, you can gloss over a center and paint it and everything, but if you, if you don't fix the entrance with the trash and uh, cleaning up the landscaping, um, good example, if you're in a more of a deserty area, do you have um, 
the right landscape for that. It's nice and neat if you make that look real pretty um, in the very beginning and put new fescue in, uh, but it's not going to maintain itself. Um, you've got watering bills and all that stuff um, that you would have to deal with. Um, so I'm as a, you know, basically as a property manager, things to think about um, that you're putting in place, um, making good decisions in that aspect. Um, cause I mean, there's some to where you just want rocks and some cactus. I mean, to work, cause that's going to look great and it fits the decor of the center. Um, but then again, I mean, if you've got palm trees and you can put some nice stuff in there and make it look nice and neat, um, it needs to be manicured. Nobody wants to see the nasty palm leaves all over the ground. Um, it needs to be cleaned up and having that plan in place with your property manager. Um, cause if you're not doing it on your own, you need to have a great property manager that's running that center for you, um, and staying on top of those things. Uh, striping the parking lot. Um, is that something that's coming to be out of pocket on you or is it something that you put into the lease that the tenants help you pay for that? Um, you know, and maybe it's every 10 years that you restripe the parking lot. Those are things that you can put into a lease uh, to help you do that. HVAC systems, making sure your HVAC systems work. Um, those are expensive. And do you have it in your lease to where you're gonna make sure those HVAC systems are running 100%? 25 ton HVAC system, is a, is a monster, you know, when you're having to replace one. Um, do you split costs or do you basically put all new stuff in in the very beginning every time you sign somebody over if it's a 10-year or 15-year lease? So, I mean, there's a lot of things you look at there, um, especially when you're taking over a building, um, but cleaning it up to get a tenant, um, they're asking all those questions, you know, how is the HVAC and where are we at on that? And um, do you have a sprinkler system? Um, who's in charge of the sprinkler system? Am I having to pay for water costs? I mean, there is so much involved in that to where you can basically put it into those costs of the rent. Um, but yeah, making sure the center pops is a huge attraction to people. And it doesn't matter if you've got one person in the center right now and you've got more coming. When they come visit the center, nobody wants to see an old closed sign with a bunch of stuff in the windows to where they can see through on the backside. I would rather see paper closed to where I, nobody else can see in. Um, to what's behind there, basically put, well, you know, basically uh, paper bags up or whatever to where it keeps it closed. Um, so you don't have to look inside it. You just say, hey, you know, and then put your sign up that you're renting that space open. But um, there's just a lot of things you can do to basically make it more appetizing for potential tenants looking for space. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that you were talking about, like saying you're having a closed space, it's almost like emotional for the property manager, or property owner. I can just, I can see the whole situation. You, you got, you got the empty window and you can see all the way in. Like you said, there's like a knocked over chair and some hangers and two garbage bags in the corner and the place yep. just looks terrible. Right. Well, it's almost like, I feel like the owner kind of looks at it and doesn't clean it up and doesn't cover it up because they feel guilty about it because it's empty. And they, they're like, they almost like showing off their, their loss, you know? Instead right. of trying to like promote it and make it better, they're like, feel sorry for me. Look, I got an empty place. It's funny. I talk about how this seems like personal development. All this business is, is tons of times. It goes back to like the emotions of yep. like the owner or whoever the person is or whatever. Yeah. Sounds like yeah, you found right. that. Yes. For sure. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, it's definitely a passionate business that you want to be in, especially if you own that property. Um, You've got to have somebody, if you're not going to be able to be the one to be in charge of that, you've got to have somebody that's got the attention to detail, um, setting those expectations of what I want you to look for on a sheet, checklist, whatever it is, um, same aspect. You know, it's just 
making sure that you've got that center ready to go uh, for the next tenant and making it look nice. No graffiti on the wall. I mean, making sure that it's cleaned up, trash cans look good. Um, just like if that center was popping 100%, make sure that it's ready to rumble. So I don't know how they keep it going whenever, because they, uh, you know, that's all paid for by the cam. Yep. The common area maintenance fee takes care of all that. So whenever it gets empty, the cam stays the same for the people that are there. Now the, the landlord just has less money coming in to pay for the common area maintenance. Yep. And so here's a little trick for people trying to get into some kind of commercial space. Whenever things are really empty right now, landlords will let you get into a space sometimes for just the cam. So if you can find out what just the common area maintenance fee is, so usually they'll want like a three or five year contract on a commercial space. So you can go in, say you're a brand new business, you want to get started. There's tons of commercial space out here right now. Seems like nobody's really renting commercial space. So landlords are desperate. So you can go to a landlord and say, I'll just pay the common area maintenance fee for a year. And then I'll kick in and start paying rent after that. So you're getting it rent free. You're not paying any rent. There's some people that are able to do this. We were able to do it on a space recently just because everything was so empty. The pandemic left things so empty and the landlords were so desperate to get something in there. They were like, yeah, we'll just take, if we can just cover our bills, we'll be happy. And so we were able to get in like that. It's a great idea. Yep. Yeah. It's all about negotiations. I mean, you, you don't know unless you ask. So come with a good proposal and uh, have that conversation. I think, uh, Especially now, you're right. You would be surprised at what people would do to let somebody get into a center just to get some income coming in. So, yep, good yeah, point. It's a, it's a buyer's market or a renter's market. Uh, that's right. <laughs> We've For got sure. space here that we see people talking about. Uh, we got a huge Kmart here that closed and a Sears, a couple of big box stores that are empty right now. And so we've got guys talking about putting in apartments in the Kmart. Well, I mean, I guess utilizing the space i mean that's definitely one way to do it um yeah i mean that's that's definitely it's it's amazing what they can come up with um, when you look at those uh those spaces that way especially those big ones i mean you've got 180,000 square feet oh, um and it's they're monsters so yeah even those old that's why you see a lot of people moving into old walmarts you know they'll chop them up into three or four and they don't even pay for the full space on it i mean you've got four dollars per square foot and you take a chunk of 30,000, they'll break that thing into three or four chunks um, at $4 a square foot. It's pretty cheap for a, for a big box. And they don't even use the back half of the store a lot of times just because they're trying to fill them. So it's, there's, there's definitely ways to get into some of those. Um, and they'll, they'll cut it and chop it up just to make some money. So, wow. So they're basically just leasing out, say, the, fir- the, the front third. Yep. Just Absolutely. to get somebody in there. Absolutely. Yep. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, that uh, that happens probably more than you would you would think. But especially when they move to the bigger super centers, um, they're doing a lot more build suits now. But um, yeah, those older ones out there, um, you can move in and get pretty good uh, rent per square foot, and it's pretty good location. Um, like I was talking about, trying to be in between um, the neighborhoods and say the Walmart, um, you become the Walmart, and Walmart doesn't pick bad locations. So if you're in that, in that Walmart, you've already got a pretty good location, even though that Walmart moved. So um, they, don't, they don't pay for bad real estate. So they might move and get bigger, but their general location is probably pretty good. Hey, that's really interesting. I didn't even think about that. 
hey, that's another thing you can do. Whenever they close, whenever a Walmart moves, I bet you the rest of that whole center drops in value, right? Drops in cost. So that could be a yep. good way to scoop in, swoop, swoop in and get a good price. But it's still a good center probably because like you said, they don't, they don't start with a bad place in the first place. Right, absolutely. And they're usually moving because they want to get into a bigger, uh, bigger location. A lot of those are just the old uh, uh, department store Walmarts. Um, so you don't have the, uh, the garden centers and all that stuff that they basically want to move into. Um, and a lot of those didn't even have um, too many groceries. So whenever they're moving like that, those, those, those areas are probably about 100,000 square feet. And they're making 180 to 200,000 square foot stores if not more in some areas. Um, so yeah, it's, it's still good. It's still good real estate. That's great. So you talked a little bit about the future for tractor supply. They're already at 2000 going to, they've got a goal of 2,700, right? Yep. We're growing. So what does that mean for you? What's the future for you in tractor supply? Um, well, you know, the future is kind of the, whatever you want to do. I mean, there's uh, there's growth potential, just like with uh, Hastings and moving your way up. There's, potential to, uh, to move up um, into the DM role or into the uh, basically the regional VP role, which is what they have uh, above that. So, yeah, we've looked into it and uh, had conversations and uh, that's, that's potential. That'll be my next move um, is moving into a DM role. And, but yeah, right now, you know, I'm a pretty good, uh, pretty good spot where I'm at. Um, but you know, if the opportunity comes along, I would, I would be interested in that as well. So, yeah, I'm always get- looking. To move up, so would you get to stay there in Amarillo? That's potential. Um, Cause yeah, I mean, the kids are young. Uh, so we kind of like where they are. I love being home at, in the afternoon and evening to watch baseball and football games. So it's uh, my schedule right now is pretty good. Pretty prime. <laughs> yeah. I remember you had a, you had a big time travel schedule, which is huge. Once you get into, you know, your districts and your regions, you, you got to go, you got to go be there. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh my wife called me her, uh, her weekend husband because uh, <laughs> I'd leave on a Monday and come back on a Friday. And, uh, you know, it's nice to be home and uh, uh, work-life balance is huge. And uh, as you get older in life, you really feel that um, aspect of it to where you work, 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 work. And, uh, yeah, it's nice to have that work-life balance, spending time with the kids and the family in the evening time and um, with the practices. And so, yeah, I mean, you only get to do it once. So it's uh, – enjoy it while they're at that age and spend that because I got plenty of time to work. I'm still fairly young, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We keep saying that. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I, know, I, know. I keep moving the end, the, uh, the finish line further away. So I stay young. Whenever people are like, yeah, you're getting old. I'm like, well, I'm going to live to 150. So, you know, there you it, go. It's, yeah. it's all relative. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever it takes. Yeah. Power of positive thinking. That's right. <laughs> So what are some of the things you've done over the years? Because you've been able to be like we were talking about at the top of your field, you know, just from starting out as a night stalker and moving up, it, it doesn't sound like it whenever we talk about it now, but even just moving up as quick as you did all the time and moving, not going to college and still moving into executive roles, still being in charge. And you were being considered, if I remember right, you were being considered for even higher roles at Hastings, correct? Yeah. Um, and I mean, senior director of store planning was in the top six, seven of the company. And, um, so yeah, I mean, that's, 
that was a big role. And there's uh, there's always opportunity. Uh, put the work in. Um, never stop learning. I mean, I don't care how smart you think you are. Um, um, always, always pay attention. Always listen. Um, always keep learning. Um, one of uh, one of my old uh, peers said, uh, "Some of the best ideas are somebody else's." Um, so, I mean, you got to take those and grasp them and learn from them. And you're going to make mistakes on your own that you're going to learn from. But I mean, if you can grab that from someone else that's already made that error or mistake or has learned from it, I mean, absolutely. Why not read about it and learn from it? Whether you're watching um, somebody on here, like you're talking about and, um, things that you can learn. Um, yeah. So that's huge. Never stop learning. Um, don't dwell on the past. Um, you know what? The past was yesterday. So um, change your mindset. You know, you're going to get up out of the bed um, just like you did the day before. But you know what? Choose your attitude. Choose that thought process of how this day is going to go. Because um, you can't fix you can't fix yesterday. Um, you can only fix the day ahead of you. So, um, And there's been plenty of times in my career to where I was kind of let down or had that feeling of, well, I guess I'm not good enough for that role or I'm not good enough to do that. Um, well, how do you change that mindset as in, so what do I need, need to do to be better? Um, trying to come and do self-reflection sometimes. It's hard to look in the mirror um, sometimes. And actually, I think you talked about that a couple of uh, podcasts ago, basically, how do you, how do you see yourself and actually ask those questions? And sometimes they're hard questions, you know, and they're, um, that you don't like the answers to the questions that you're throwing at you and write them down um, and then go, okay, well, let me look at it and see where I need to focus and how do I fix this and how do I move forward and um, change that mindset. You were talking about trying to be a little soft in some areas and you had to stop it. You're like, you know what, in order for me to move forward, I can't do that anymore. And those are things you have to do to be successful and everybody's different um, in how they manage through those things. Um, but yeah, so um, always asking yourself the tough question. Um, like I've, I said before, control what you can control. Um, there's so much stuff going on, whether it's in the world or um, management that's above you or um, where you are, uh, but you can control you. You can control um, the things that you do, your attitude, your mindset, um, your education. I mean, those are things that you can control. You have, uh, you have control of yourself, um, whether it be faith um, and how you handle that aspect um, to basically um, work-related items. And um, yeah, control what you can control. I have people that complain about things all the time. And I was like, circle of influence, man, here's your circle. And here you are. Let's focus on this right here. You can't do anything with all this. Let's focus on this one area here. Be great at it. And guess what? Your influence is going to hit other people. And then your influence is going to hit other people. Next thing you know, your circle of influence is larger. Um, and I think it's just a different mindset, you know, because people try to do um, you see it on social media all the time. People try to solve other people's problems. Well, circle of influence. It's great to be that ambassador and to try to help them, but you can't solve all their problems for them. So control what you control. And with that, maybe you can influence them um, into positive thinking or in the things that are going to make them better. Um, and the other thing I already said was work-life balance, man. It's, it's huge. Um, from before I had kids to now having kids, um, it was always work-life balance. It hurt me to hear my wife say I was her weekend husband. It was funny because I was never home, but um, I was like career, 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 career. But first 10 years of my marriage, yeah, it was a little stressful because I was never home. And she was frustrated by that. And that was her way of telling me that you're never here for me. You're never, you're never there and you're always working. And 
Um, even when I was home on the weekends, it was work. I had my laptop out or I think my Blackberry probably at the time or whatever it was, um, constantly working. And, um, so yeah, you gotta be able to pull yourself away, um, and enjoy family, um, take your wife out to dinner, um, even without the kids, you know, spend those time with them. Um, and sometimes you got to say no at work. Um, your boss calls, says, Hey, I need you to go do this. Hey, I would, but you know what? I've got this, um, prior engagement already set up and that's just how it's going to work. And you've got to be able to stand up and do that because there were times that I would be like, yes, sir. And no questions asked. And I would just let the family deal with it. And, uh, yeah, work-life balance is, is huge and tractor supply. Um, even Hastings was great at it, but tractor supply, um, is really big into that aspect. Um, they want you to take care of your family because they want to treat you like family. And, um, that's part of their value aspect as well. So, yeah, I think that's pretty much it, man, for me, as far as how I do things, um, treat people as you want to be treated, um, try to influence people as much as you can just focus on you. And a lot of that, the more work you put on yourself, you would be surprised um, how that goes and how that glows into other people, that whole let your light shine, you know, um, it's amazing how that works and how that envelops in other people. So, man, who would have thought two old boys from the oil field in Midland, Texas would become somewhat enlightened one day. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> All this stuff yes, we're sir. talking about it, it, you know, it kind of circles back around and it comes to like a spiritual and kind of a guru and kind of a, you know, has a, 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 a sense to it that's kind of ethereal or whatever, but it's real concrete. And I think you've put it into some, some real specific actions that are, that are wonderful. I think that's a great place for us to wrap it up, talking about work on the one, increase the influence, work on the one. That's great. I really love that, Steve. All right, brother. Man, well, it was cool. so good to see you. Likewise. I, need, I, need I just got out there. Come on. We've been talking about a trip to Texas as well. So let's make sure we coordinate so we don't cross paths. <laughs> You'll I'll be here and I'll be there. All right, brother. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. All right. Thanks for coming on. This is Steve Sosby. Hey, is anybody, uh, if anybody wants to reach out and talk to you about anything, you want to put your uh, social media or anything out there? Uh. I know you're out. You're not out selling or promoting a book like regular folks on the podcast. You're coming on sharing your knowledge. You're not out trying to get a job or get get promoted to, to some other company. Yeah, you can look me up on LinkedIn. You know, there you go. Uh, yeah. yeah, you can look me up on LinkedIn if you need anything. I'd, lo I'd love to talk to you about anything. So, all right. Hey, I love you, brother. It's good to see you. And uh, we'll go ahead and cut it. I really day. love you too, man. I... All right. All right, bud. All right, this is uh, Bye. this has been Alex Alexander over here, and uh, y'all have a great day. Aloha.